this is uh, this is not the Godfather, but you should still listen to me when I tell you to uh, listen to the 4:30 Movie podcast. It's at 4:30movie.com, and they'll make you a podcast you can't refuse. If you want some great swag from the Inglorious Trexperts podcast, including a lot of fun T-shirts and all that sort of stuff, visit us at ingloriousTrexperts.com. You can find all that stuff, and you can listen to the podcast while you're there. Electric Now? What does that mean? It means that you can watch us do these wonderful podcasts and so many other things, too. Hey, uh, Darren. Yes. When I was a kid, I used to love The Electric Company. You know why? Because I knew one day Morgan Freeman would be a great actor. But (laughs) if there's one thing I love about electricity that's even better than Schoolhouse Rock and The Electric Company, it's The Electric Now channel. But also, they're turning it on and bringing the power. Yes, they are. (laughs) And we're turning you on. And No, no, no. no, That's highly inappropriate. Okay. Well, we are turning on the power here at Electric Surge, where you may have, for the last year or so, been enjoying these amazing audio podcasts like Inglorious Trexperts, The 430 Movie, Best Movies Never Made. Now, you you can watch You ain't seen nothing yet, but now you can. You can on... Electric Now, available on Stir TV and Distro TV, which you can download from your favorite app store, and soon coming to the Electric Now app. Get to see us as you've never seen us before, <laughs> because you've only seen us in the theater of the imagination. Now we're going to be on your tablet, on your telephone, on your TV, and in your house. With <laughs> the call is coming from inside the house. So make sure to check out Electric Now, streaming now on Stir TV and Distro TV and coming soon to the Electric Now app. And welcome back to Best Movies Never Made, the podcast where we explore interesting and infamous movies that never made it to or through production. Uh, As always, I'm your co-host, Josh Miller, and with me as always is Mr. Steven Scarlatta. How are you doing today, Josh? I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? Can't complain. That is good. And we are back for our epic, sprawling, multi-episode spanning series on unmade yeah question mark uh number of episodes we'd initially said three i should always (laughs) remember never say how many in the first episode just say multi-part uh because where we are realized we're probably gonna have to turn this into a four-parter maybe five or six seven thirteen change the title of the podcast (laughs) the best super mario movies never made um (laughs) but we are back talking about the unmade phases. Well, first, last two episodes were highlighting a script by Jim Genowine and Tom S. Parker, which is a full-on unmade Mario movie, other than taking some uh, elements from the setup and the overall idea. Uh, They kind of start all over again here, and back with us discussing this torturous process is my co-writer from the Sonic the Hedgehog movie, Mr. Pat Casey. Hey, happy to be here. And Mr. Alan Denton, also known to Sonic fans from Sonic Boom. Hey there. It is Sonic versus Mario, and it continues. Uh, So Steve, why don't you tell us what happened after the script was turned in? Yes, so um, 
I will go to what Beeman said, and he said what happened was pretty much what is called creative differences. One producer had very different ideas from me about how much money should be spent on it. And one had very different ideas from me about the tone was was going to be. And that's pretty much what led me to leaving the project. The producers, according to Beeman, felt that they could do a movie set almost entirely in a created fantasy world for the same budget as the first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which, feature, which, which featured fantasy characters in, the, in a real world. Beeman gris- disagreed, and they parted company. Well, I also think it probably didn't hurt that in this meantime, he directed a movie called Mom and Dad Save the World with John Lovitz. Oh. Uh, and again with Jeffrey Jones, who we mentioned mm-hmm. from Stay Tuned. And that movie did not do well, um, which probably hurt. That's where the creative differences always come from. Like in our most <laughs> recent episodes we just did about Neil Gaiman's Sandman, the arc of that was that Ted Elliott and Terry Rossio wrote a script that the studio deemed undeliverable so they didn't have to pay them because they said it was so bad. Which, by the way, mm-hmm. they don't have the right to call it undeliverable. To call your guild representative. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you delivered it, you delivered it. Um, until Roger Avery, who had just won a Oscar for writing or co-writing Pulp Fiction, got assigned to the movie and he read their script and it was great. And all of a sudden they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, let's do it. But that was because he had Pulp Fiction heat. So I think the problem oh, was Greb Beeman uh, had Mom and Dad Save the World stink. Anti-heat. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and uh, this movie would have been expensive, this one we just read. Like, there's a lot to it. I think, like, yeah. people would have liked it. And well, there was also, probably work to be done just, like, cutting it down the and they the number of creatures. I think that movie yeah. was in the right headspace. Yeah. And we yeah. just read a first draft. Yeah. And, like, our first draft of Sonic was so long. Um, yeah. How long to the it? point where we were, like... It was, like... It was like 150 pages. Yeah. Oh my Where God. we That's felt really insane. bad turning it in that long. And they were like, don't worry about how long it is. And, and we then were they like, said, but we can't oh. help but worry, but we did it. Then it would be fine. It was one of those yeah. things where it took us, like, a day to cut out, like, 30 pages because there was just, oh. you know... Cause I think, uh, just a day dedicated solely to cutting. Yeah. Well, like as far as behind the process, uh, even though there wasn't a release date, there was kind of like a bunch of stuff happening behind the scenes, some of which we were aware of, some well above our pay grade with just like the rights to do his movie. So by the time we were officially hired, and this is when the movie was still at Sony before it moved to Paramount, it was basically like, you guys have two weeks to think up the entire movie. Um and thankfully, our our awesome executive producer, Tim Miller, takes no shit. And at the end of two weeks, when, understandably, we yeah, did not- we, we were not ready. We it did not, not have a very good, good outline. Uh, and he's like, um, they need two more weeks. <laughs> but even then, then, we basically had four weeks to write uh, the Yikes. script from this very loose outline. So it was super long. Anyway, did point so, being- So you wrote 150 pages in four weeks? Yes. Yeah. Wow. Really, frankly, we wrote 150 pages in two weeks yeah those first two weeks we were like had a lot of we trouble like, getting going are you all crazy? kinds of things were i had to like fly to canada for a funeral during this oh, time no. as well uh yeah, it was as, it was as a writing team how do you guys do that do you guys bounce you know give each other certain parts or yeah are you just, just... especially with that fast it was just like you write this scene i'm gonna write this scene. i mean really yeah. with that one because it was so fast it was like we sort of had the outline and it was kind of like anything that you feel like you can write right now just grab it and write it like both of <laughs> us were just like you know what i feel like i can do this scene i'm just gonna do it but it's such a time Normally we work like in one of our homes. Um, back when we lived in crappier homes, we'd work in coffee shops. But we were like, we got a WeWork office 
for a few right. months because we were just kind of like we can't screw this up and yeah. we need a dedicated space. So we would go there in the morning and both write for like 12 hours locked in our like teeny tiny little glass cage. Oh, so small. Mainlining wow. WeWork coffee. It was like a closet. Yeah, a closet <laughs> with glass walls. Did yeah. you share the office or you had separate offices? Oh, we had no, one we little We were basically office. sitting our, the back of our chairs touching each other with our desks facing away. Like it was not big enough. You could have gotten a bigger one. Well, like they they have all different sizes, right? Yeah, well, we wanted. Yeah, we had to pay for that (laughs) set of pocket. We did use the glass walls to like make notes and outline, like uh, in a beautiful mind. Uh, Okay, but like it never really worked that good. In movies, it always makes it look so easy to write on the glass. Those grease pens don't work very well. But it was funny because everyone could 100 percent see everything we were doing. (laughs) But no one cared at that point. They didn't know who we were. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, this was all a roundabout way of saying uh, that that script would have got. Better. Um, the script, yeah, this Mario The previous script. one we read, the yeah. one um, by the Stay Tuned guys, who then, I mean, they did okay. They went on to write the John Goodman Flintstones movie, so their career did not completely die. And Richie in, Rich, I in, believe. In Richie Rich. Yeah. Okay. The Macaulay Culkin classic. <laughs> I, you know, I thought Rich. the script was it was pretty good. I, I, I thought it was, like, kind of well-written. Like, the story was uh, a little meandering. Very meandering, but... But yeah, that's the kind of thing that would have gotten cleaned up. It had a good sense of the characters. They they were stepping the correct foot Mm -hmm. forward off the property. But again, this is when Tim Burton's Batman was all the rage, the Ninja Turtles. Mm -hmm. And the Ninja Turtles, for people don't remember, that was was an independent movie, technically. Mm -hmm. Because it was not made by one of the It was, like, the biggest indie hit of all time at that point. Um, And so, like... Really? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I think the idea of, again, they they were spending so much money on this Mario movie, but I'm sure they were thinking, and that's why they went with these independent, this independent production company, um, the idea of like, no, we're going to do something like cool and weird, mm-hmm. and then made yeah. this super weird decision of like, you know what's really cool and weird right now? Max Headroom. <laughs> if... Audience doesn't remember Max Headroom. I honestly don't know how to explain it. Just like go to YouTube and look it up. It started as, I think it was commercials before it was a TV show. No, I think it was a British TV show, and then they brought him to America. No, possibly. I think it was like it was like a character he was like doing on something else. Like well, maybe... he used to sell classic Coke or something. Well, it was like yeah. I think it was like you know? came from something like some sketch show or like local ads for something else. Well, it was created. But it became well, like a Coke commercial and then became like a sci-fi series. But, but I believe yeah. it started in it, it started in England. Yeah, but actually before those cats oh, were yeah, involved. Oh yeah, fill us in on before um, those guys were brought in. Yeah, so again, Joffe in the says about Beeman, we in the in the end we created over artistic differences. I felt the screenplay was coming out a little bit too young. And then Jaffe offered it to Harold Harold Ramis. I've had so much coffee, excuse me. <laughs> Harold Ramis declined and he he told why he told Wired, um, I took a meeting because I loved the game. I'm glad I said no. And that was pretty much all he said. (laughs) I actually feel like tonally he would have been a good choice. I mean, this does skew a bit young, but I think the movie should skew somewhat young. There's not too young on the Super Mario Brothers movie. I mean, the key is because, like, you want kids to be able to enjoy it. Like, you want it to be smart enough and funny enough that everyone can enjoy it. Mm -hmm. But you definitely, it's not like you want, we didn't need more buxom babes and stag parties. (laughs) Like, that's not the, you know, doubling down on the adult elements wasn't the way to do it. Well, now Illumination has. The Mario movie, and I feel like that's I mean they're going to skew though, very young. Right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but I mean that's maybe where Mario needs to. Is, is it animated? 
Yeah, 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 yeah fully animated. No, so it's just going to be like the cutscenes from the game, just like uh, we know, yeah, we know people at Illumination. We've asked them what the deal is with the movie, and they have told us jack squat. They are very secretive yeah, about this okay. one. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, and so I guess Jaffe also thought the other version was too medieval, you know, and and he said that, and that's when I began thinking of Max Headroom, and he um, admired the television program, and that's when he reached out to Rocky Morton and Annabelle Jenkel, and he said I thought they would have the unique visual sensibilities to bring this animated world to life. Well, Those they're, are the, the, they're the creators of Max okay. Headroom. They're yes. like and they the, also, of the show because the, the character show. was really created just by what's his face, right? The well, actor. Well, it, I don't know. Well, it says they became famous for creating the TV show. I guess we'll have to look a little bit more into that. But they also made a remake of a movie called DOA with uh, Meg Ryan and, I uh, that movie. Dennis, and Quaid. Dennis Quaid. That was like their one big feature. And plus they were big music video that. directors okay. during the time as well. So, but it was the Max Headroom is what got them the gig. And I, mean, I, I can see right. it a little bit. Like, so Max Headroom is like a digital, you know, he's, the yeah, idea is that he's a seat. Hip he's a, and current yeah, he's feeling, a computer generated. Yeah, he's a generated person, supposedly, but really he's an actor wearing makeup, twitching his head inside. Yeah. Well, people love the TV, TV show that was on here. I mean, it has like a huge cult following also. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, Josh, so. you, do you remember what the name of your character was? I don't remember. Pat and I had a cable access TV show. Yeah, and Josh <laughs> had a character who was Max Headroom, basically. But we I only did it a few times, so I don't remember <laughs> yeah. what his name was. We were very proud of that horrible effect we did, though. It took a lot of work. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I guess uh, these uh, the writers were let go, and because mostly because they was they were attached to the Beeman. Nintendo actually liked the Beeman version, this version we just surprised. went through. Well, the idea of it being too game. medieval, it's funny because like the wizard stuff like doesn't really feel necessary, but like castles and just like yeah. the green yeah. landscapes, like yeah. that's what I mean, it's it, all that's from what the game. Dungeon, be, yeah. you the know, hills in and another castle. Plants. Right there that's that's the... what it is. Yeah. But also in the meantime, uh, Super Mario World had come out, and that's not in the Mushroom Kingdom. That's in Dinosaur Land, which is why right. Yoshi's in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it still feels a lot like the Mushroom well, Kingdom. Basically. <laughs> <laughs> um, but th- that's clearly where they started thinking of this new direction, which is the idea that the Mushroom Kingdom is this like sub-dimension created by the asteroid that uh, killed the dinosaurs on Earth. Um, and now the dinosaurs have been living in this pocket dimension and evolved into basically humans. Well, yeah. According to them, they thought... Well, they read the Beeman draft, Jenkel and and um, forgetting the other guy's name, Morton. Morton. Yeah, and they said we had read an early draft of the script in which Koopa was kind of oh. a reptilian, dragon-like figure. We started thinking of a whole world with a reptile point of view, dominated by a regressive, primordial behavior and basic instincts. And then Parker Bennett, the new writer that came on, said, "Well, I have to give credit to where credits due. The whole idea of a parallel world." And the dinosaurs evolving into people. That's all Mark Rocky Morton and Annabelle Jenkel. They had this great take on the underlying concept of the movie. It was totally from them. So supposedly they came up with all that. The whole Yeah. I mean I was guessing that's kinda how they got the gig. Yeah. Um, and these two writers they just brought on, they wrote a movie called Mystery Date. Parker Bennett and Ten- and Terry uh Runt. Runt. Mystery Date, was that the one with 
Ethan Hawke? Yeah, that's like, yes. it's basically like License of Drive, which is funny that License <laughs> to Drive was, there was already a connection with this. But it's basically License to Drive, but if there was also a dead body in the trunk of their yeah. car. Yeah, like, has anyone involved in the Super Mario movie process, like, worked on a successful movie? Well, the thing Not is... really. Well, <laughs> oh, I guess uh, the Rain Man guy yeah. they fired. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't even let turn in his script. Oscar yeah. winner. Well, I guess also is uh, the treatment that's going to be the first thing that uh, the treatment dated October 28th, 1991, has a drawing on the cover. And supposedly... Yeah, um, I'll show you guys the drawing. We'll post it on our social medias, but... What? There's actually an interesting document because it predates email, Mm -hmm. but it's basically the, like, email you would send to the producers or director after you had a meeting with them. Uh, like it opens up with them basically they're just like going over and embellishing upon the ideas they talked about um, and yet, did this like never actually make it yeah, to a script? Giving all the thoughts well, they no. had in the car on the way home from that meeting. Because this is a whole thing where the Mario <laughs> Brothers like a thing that keeps looming in the movies and always mostly get got cut out by the finished one is the idea of like their dead parents and their dad who like looked exactly like them and started this plumbing business and had like taught mm-hmm. them to love their tools and stuff you only get like bits and pieces of but in this they basically had like just made me think of like Ghostbusters cartoon Tobin's spirit guide or the junior woodchuck manual from DuckTales where they have their dad's old like plumbing guide <laughs> that contains the answers to yeah. all problems yeah, yeah it's funny to just like focus on their tools which is in the final movie since you never use plumbing tools at any point in the games like let me just yeah. read a little snippets from this this is the bennett and runt or however you say his name uh kind of pitch and what they want to do uh, and this is part of it here. Daisy is kidnapped by rival plumbers. Mario and Luigi give chase and wind up deep in the sewers, lost. Luigi always carries their father's old plumbing guide. Maybe there's a map or something. That's what makes me feel like it's an yeah. email. <laughs> uh, pulls out the locket, too, and behind them, a shimmering passageway appears. They can just make out the retreating kidnappers and rush to follow, but they fall down a long winding pipe, so there's still pipes, and land in New York? It's similar, but off kilter, out of wax, scaly, moss covers building, mist covers the ground. Luigi and Mario must navigate strange dangers as they try to make sense of the new world. Uh, Blah, blah, blah. Let's see. Oh, yeah. Mario and Luigi find all the humans in this world in a place called simply The Village. When they arrive, the people are at first hostile, but then when they realize that these guys are plumbers, they fall to their knees. Mario and Luigi are the plumbers of prophecy. See, this is all stuff from these, like, the earlier drafts. Yeah. it's a little or, army of darkness to it. Yeah. yeah, who's supposed to come and defeat the evil King Koopa? Uh, when Koopa first took power, he had all the plumbers in the land killed. I oh, like that because detail. of the prophecy. Yeah, mm. although yeah, we later like learned that one escaped thing, or... Mario and Luigi's dad. So, they're so he's also, actually from, yeah. huh? Uh, so they, it's plumber genetics that yeah. he was trying mm-hmm. to end? Midi-chlorians. Yeah. For plumbers, well, you you would think there's <laughs> pipes. There would have to be somebody tradespeople to maintain or something. I mean, you also need plumbers for like your gas appliances. You don't want to do that yourself. <laughs> oh, here's another bit. Meanwhile, yeah. the village people give Mario and Luigi a shining toolbox and send them off on their quest to rescue Daisy. Perhaps with Toad as their guy <laughs> again. Well, that maybe yeah. this. Yeah. Uh, again, that's what emails are always like, though. So, Just, so like, th- is this where the name Daisy starts in this? Yeah, draft. Like, now moving games, forward, Daisy's Luigi's, Luigi's girlfriend. So that at least matches. Is she the brunette? 
in like Mario Kart? The, yes. The brunette yeah. princess is yeah. Daisy, and Peach is the blonde who's like the real princess. But from again, okay. as far as why we were saying earlier, why it's kind of crazy that the first guys, unless again they were going off of documents that we don't have access to that started, but like things that stayed through is the idea that Mario is not the one after the princess. It's always Luigi. Yeah, because yeah, every all the kids connect with Luigi. But then and this, Mario's notoriously a eunuch. Yeah, <laughs> but this one at least finally is like, well, if it's going to be Luigi's love interest, it should be Daisy. And then that name first appears here and then stays through to the finish. I don't know when they debuted Daisy in the games. Did she exist at that point? Did they name the game character no. after the movie? I don't know what game she first. Yeah. Did I write that down anywhere? Um I'm not sure what game she first appears in, but she the, she is named after the game character. It's not like Harlequin okay. where yeah. mm-hmm. they reversed it back into the source material. Yes. Um, so, oh, so that gives them this toolbox. Uh, they also have another guide, their father's old plumbing manual, The Magic of Booklin has turned it into a talking book. Whereas in their homeworld, we might hear their father's voice echoing his voiceover. Now it speaks aloud when open, giving them away their hiding place the first time. Uh-huh. It can answer questions too, but only with the words already in the book, which kind of, it's almost the idea that Bumblebee has in the Transformers movies where it can only speak in uh, kind of impressionistic. The magic of Brooklyn? Yeah, that sucks. <laughs> Harsh. Well, it is a nine-page. You think the book was gonna like treatment. flap like a mouth, like it was gonna be like a oh, puppet? Yeah, it probably had the leather cover mm. with a mouth. Yeah, more Army of Darkness. So um, yeah, so Parker Bennett later said Terry and I went back and we put together this little pitch document, what Josh is reading right now, because we really didn't get far into specifics of what we would do with the movie. And I think Rocky, the director, later said it was the drawing on the front that got us the job, not so much the story we worked uh, out. Okay. So, so we'll definitely post that. Which is just yeah. like, yeah, <laughs> eyes in like a pipe-covered tunnel, yes. kind of a scary-looking drawing. Goes to show, man. Well, because this <laughs> so. idea... So then the script we next have from them... Oh, yeah. Well, uh, well really oh, quick, yeah. before we jump into that, the art, while they were working on a pitch document, you know, when they came on, uh, the art department was still working on the last version of the script, the, genu- the, genu- the Genuine Parker script. So there were storyboards and drawings and clay models of bricks that would come falling down. So it was a weird time because things were shifting and the producers were very concerned at this point because I think they had spent at least a couple million dollars in developing the previous versions. Like building thwomps they were now never going to use. Yes. And that piranha plant. And Barry Mar- uh, with Barry Morrow, they spent a huge amount of money to get that first draft, and they got pretty far into this genuine, genuine Parker production before they shut it down. So they yeah. were really behind the eight ball already, budget-wise. And so they weren't too so as he's so they weren't too into that treatment and they wanted to be more amped up and supposedly more like Ghostbusters. And so that will lead us to February nineteen ninety-two with their first what's it's consider it says on the script for uh, revised first draft and it's somewhat the Ghostbusters script it was but no even that, has. I feel maybe that was their intent. It does not. Yes. That vibe does not really carry through. Yeah. Um, so who knows at what point? Because I think that at some point they were trying to get somebody 
like Bill Murray, like yeah. looking at the success of Ghostbusters and basically like Cheech Marin. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like if we just put a real funny comedian in here, he's going to carry a lot of it. But then I think it was also around this time Bob Hoskins started being talked about, and I think they had to rework the script again to yeah. acknowledge just what kind well, of a performer Bob Hoskins I mean, was. And I assume it's, he even came up in the first place just because of Roger Rabbit. Well, I yeah. think, yeah, I think actually what's funny is that I found that Bob Hoskins was attached actually back in October 91. So even that was even before the treatment was done. So that's what I found at the library. So again, yeah, so like, again, we need someone with a mustache. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So it, it seems like they were constantly sending him scripts. I, la- I later read like in Starlog or something. He was constantly getting the scripts, but it seems like from October on to production, now he was attached after they lost all those other actors. I wonder if Ed Asner ever came out. <laughs> <laughs> so. I mean, he would have been a little yeah. old. But, <laughs> yeah, so this he, he could have played their dad in the flashback. Yeah, yeah so this yeah, will bring George us to the February. <laughs> Just every fat guy in Hollywood. So this will bring us to the February 1992 draft. Uh, and now, just kind of moving forward, like these are now it's basically the movie that came out. But it's kind of interesting seeing the like different things they were experimenting with. It's weird they decided to, like that they were like yes, urban environment look like total recall. That's exactly what we want. And, and all the people like look like humans yeah. instead of looking like lizard people. We just yeah. say they're lizard people, which does not have the effect of making mm-hmm. them lizard people to yeah, like the yeah. viewer. They, as, they evolved from lizards, but into exactly humans. Well, and that like, lessens kind of with each of these drafts, which again, maybe it was just budgetary. Like how yeah. much of the world yeah. is different and lizardy. Yeah. But like, I think the people initially were going to kind of be half lizard looking and then slowly they're just like... They'd be like Star Trek style uh, prosthetic makeup lizard people. Well, they also hired the art director of Blade Runner, too. So that's okay. (laughs) So they they went again. I don't know why you want a Mario movie to look like that, but if you want it to look like that, that's the guy to hire. Yeah. Yeah, Oh, wait, I did write it down here. So Daisy first appeared in the 1989 Game Boy game Super Mario Land. Oh, that was a good one. 89. Yeah. Okay. But so is she just the princess in that one? And that one's also not in the Mushroom Kingdom. Yeah, and, all, and also the directors were huge, big sci-fi fans, and and they were influenced by William Gibson and Philip K. Dick. So I mean, I guess that's also yeah. in their head at the moment while but they're why? working on all this. Yeah, yeah, like I get it. I, that was in Starlog. If that's your aesthetic, cool. But why make that the Super Mario Brothers movie? That's I mean, I guess, yeah, I don't blame well, them for doing what they were hired to do, but I blame the producers for being like, yes, Mario, sci-fi, that's, you know. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Well, like, yeah, well, you know, you have Batman's a huge hit, Turtles, so they did, you know, they went away from this beautiful color palette of the Beeman yeah. draft we went through. To and just, now, like, just steam to, pouring right, out of yeah. pipes <laughs> and, like, the one the one futuristic city street you can afford. Yeah. And, and oh. car- yeah. Cars that are like bumper cars <laughs> yeah. and have like the streetcar things sticking up, which was kind of fun actually. Getting like, rid of the of beanstalks and replacing it with this weird fungus stuff, you yeah. know. So oh, I mean, very gross fungus. Yes, stuff. it's pretty. Yeah, I mean, again, it really was, felt more like snot than anything. Yeah, else. yeah. you know, we said in the first movie or the first episode, the movie's not maybe not good, but it's definitely crazy. Yeah, can't, yeah. Choices can't take that were made. <laughs> yeah, and lots then, and lots of choices and confidently. I, yeah, and I think after people listen to these episodes and then they go back and watch the movie, I think you can totally tell how cut up it is because it just, the movie just really does feel like. Well, just like everything know. kind of, all the like kind of 
character detail these writers are bothering to set up mm-hmm. and dynamics with Mario and Luigi just keeps getting shaved down. I'm sure just because of what Pat and I like to call notes creep, which is that it's not really, it's never a note. Like you need to change this to that. It's just that over the course of months and notes from a bunch of different people, you keep getting these like little tiny notes that wind up in a change that probably no one even remembers. Like well, how and then that you wind happened. up with things that like are completely irrelevant to the story you're telling, but they're still just there because they were part of the story you were originally telling, mm-hmm. and you ended up changing everything around it, but not that thing. That's an artifact now. Because like one thing we'll also see over the course of this, like a perfect example of how things change is uh, Mario. Still initially here, it's like kind of butt hurt by past relationships, and then kind of over the course of these scripts, he's like starting to date someone or is maybe dating someone or maybe doesn't isn't butthurt anymore until in the final movie he's just full on dating someone. Yeah, he has a girlfriend <laughs> and she gets kidnapped by Koopa, but it's not important. She's not important. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't know she's kidnapped. Yeah, yeah, he kidnaps a bunch of women and they're like kind of cool about yeah, it. Yeah, they're just hanging out. It's fine. <laughs> and that starts in this script that we learn right up top after, again, it begins with the same thing as the... The, pre- the original draft we read where a baby's getting dropped up outside a church. Yeah. But yeah, now it's like in a weird egg. Um, this also now starts beginning. Uh, we don't have the Dan Castaneda voiceover, but the idea that we see the dinosaurs and then a meteor hits. Mm-hmm. And then we that cut opening to... animation is so crappy, too. Well, it's because oh, yeah. it's trying to look like eight. Bit, yeah, it's kind of their like cop out. Oh, is yeah. that even what they were going yeah. for? Yeah, I but, didn't even read it, I just thought like, it was yeah. bad. But rather than animated, it's a filter over footage they shot or something. Like, it just kind of looks, looks like they shot footage of real dinosaurs, yeah. No, no, <laughs> yeah. but you know, like the, the backgrounds and stuff, yeah. like yeah. blend into reality. Uh, and this draft now uh, has kind of the thing where eh, you know, it could work or not, but now Mario hates being a plumber. He doesn't like it when people call him a plumber. He says, I'm a contractor specializing in waste management and water supply systems <laughs> and rants to Luigi at one point. Because yeah. um, Luigi says that Mario forced him into learning plumbing and Mario's like, you got free will. You could have been a rock star. You could have worked your way through school. Nobody forced you into the family business. I'm the one who was forced. So uh, in this again, like he's really... He's butthurt, yeah. but about something else. Yeah, now it's mm-hmm. the idea that their parents died and he got stuck yeah. being a plumber. And So in this his arc, I assume, is he becomes proud of being a plumber yeah. by the yeah, end? Yeah, it kind of works. Kind of. It's definitely not like emotional, but at no. least it's something. It's yeah. something. <laughs> It's not terribly kid-relatable, but... No. <sighs> no. I mean, like, resenting your brother, like, that did work in that original script. Yeah. Just, like, resenting your brother and then mm-hmm. coming to appreciate each other. Like, you need some kind of... some. Th- that's something that kids can relate to as well, yeah, even yeah. if they can't relate to supporting your brother. But you fight with your brother, but really you love each other. That's something yeah. you can realize and, and have feelings about. But I'll say this. I mean, the two actors... They really seemed like they got along, and like when you read John Leguizamo's book, it sounds like, I mean, they were, I mean, they really liked each other. They were drinking in between takes well, and uh, stuff like that. They I mean, were they, drinking they, between takes because they hated making yes, the movie. But they just really, but they kind of clicked, and you can see that in the movie. It's like they have like, I don't know, man. I think they have really good chemistry. So it is too bad that you know, you know, I, you know. I, I understood the Sonics fans' complaint when he like wasn't wearing gloves and stuff because it drove me nuts as a kid that I was just like, 
why are Mario and Luigi the same height? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And why are they not wearing their colors? Yeah, at the beginning of the movie, Luigi's wearing like a red sweatshirt for like the whole Brooklyn section. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was like, why is this not a I mean, green sweatshirt? that's just sweatshirt? kind of a costume designer fail because yeah. it seems like that's the kind of stuff costume designers get into. Yeah, they're always like, oh, this character will have this color palette. Yeah, actually, like, they don't have to be wearing their crazy <laughs> like coveralls and stuff, yeah. but like- it seems like, oh, he should have a green hat or a green T-shirt. Yeah. He's always kind of wearing something green. Yeah, there's like nothing. Uh, is it jumping ahead to ask, how did John Leguizamo end up as Luigi? Yeah, had he been in like anything uh, He was like point? a rising, because he had a hit one-man show, possibly yeah. even a series of one-man yeah. shows, and he had that where he would movie. play tons of different, like Whoopi Goldberg initially did, uh-huh. yeah. he played a bunch of different characters. So I think it was mm-hmm. just kind of like, I'm sure that's always happens this it's way. Like, this guy's real hot. Normal right now. people yeah. don't know who they are, but studio execs are the kind of people who go to these Broadway shows and they're like, this guy's great. We got to get him in something. Yeah, and I knew him from that movie, Hanging with the Homeboys, that, that came they? out. In the, it was around I the time of House Party yeah. and all that was stuff this came out. before or after the pest? I think this was all before the pest. No, way the before pest. the pest. Yeah. Pest wasn't until like mid 90s. Oh, but yeah, there was like a little independent New York movie with just him hanging out with these three guys through New York. And that was like, that was the first movie I saw him in. So he was around. I mean, and it was the play also that Josh is discussing. Well, and, well, and it was like the decision to not get an Italian guy to play Luigi feels like a major choice, a very deliberate choice. Well, I don't think Bob Hoskins is Italian yeah, either. Okay. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, he just <laughs> looks like Mario. Don't be racist, Alan. No. Is, I, oh, Cheech <laughs> Marin wasn't Italian either, so they wanted him. I'm going to stop bringing him up. Yeah. Sorry. De Niro well, playing the this. Irishman. For Cheech Marin, Mario is a very common Italian name. It's also a very common Latino name. That's true. Oh, mm. okay. That Mario true. Lopez, anybody? <laughs> you got me too young. Um... Their last names are usually not also Mario, but I don't think that <laughs> yeah. goes with Italians either. Um, yeah, so these are kind of interesting, all these ja- drafts. Is there's all these little pieces that keep getting moved ever so slightly. Like in the previous one, Daisy worked at a flower shop. This introduces the idea that now she's like a waitress. And it also introduces the idea from the movie um, that she's a college student who wants to be an archaeologist and is doing part of this dig. Um that had been, so now Eddie becomes Eddie Scarpelli, uh, and he's like a rival slash also contractor, and they were digging. But he's like rich in the yeah. final movie, at least. And he's like, it was their project that they uncovered some dinosaur bones, and then uh, the college kids moved in. And it's kind of funny in all of these, it's like, and I think they maybe wisely cut out a lot of the extraneous lines and just make him this like cartoon evil guy in a limo in the final movie. Because yeah. a lot of this other stuff, he's basically like, my workers can't work because you're <laughs> looking at these stupid dinosaur bones. Like we have a job to do, and I'm kind of like, you know what though? Like I don't disagree. Yeah. Like dinosaur bones are also important, but he's being pa- painted as this like fucking <laughs> asshole, and he's just like. I don't care about dinosaur bones. We got hired to do this thing, and now my guys, I can't I, pay them. They're just like, well, okay. Well, <laughs> you're kind of like on the side. The, the there's like the historical the working artifacts man. in here. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there, uh, there, there's links to the foundations of humanity. Well, there is also a link to a pocket dimension where well, yes. lizards live. So it is yes. important <laughs> historical find. Yeah, um, I think. Uh, I don't know. I I think they they didn't really go into like how the the injunction happened that like he can't work until these students are finished. 
looking for dinosaur bones. So he's like, you finish up by Monday. Well, he's like, you finish up by like the end of the day, I think is what he says in the final movie, which is yeah, like, that's unreasonable. It's like weirdly informal, well, this process. In this one, we learn an interesting detail about him when he's complaining to Mario. He's like, oh, my wife left me, my daughters disappeared, and now this goddamn waterworks His project. And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. <laughs> Uh, well, she's one of the 23 girls that have gone missing that no one really seems to care about. There's even a part in this script where Luigi's like, while he's flirting with daisies, basically like, oh, maybe I should like walk you home. You know, all those missing girls. And she's like, nah. This is and like I'm the like, summer of Sam. Yeah, I'm like 23 <laughs> women. This would be like a national panic like no one has ever seen before. Like if... Two women go missing in real life. That's like, oh, there's a serial killer. Twenty-three. Oh, oh, sorry. <laughs> oh my god. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it's all the stuff from the movie. This is like a thing too, where uh, uh, Scarpelli wants Mario and Luigi to go like flood the construction site to sabotage it. Oh, um, he's like pressuring them to do crimes. Yeah. Uh. Um, Conflict. We now introduce something. Spike and Iggy, Koopa's oh, those guys. bumbling henchmen. Which, like, in the games, those are the names of two of, like, the Koopa kids, right? I think so. Uh, At least Iggy? I don't know. Maybe? The internet mm. knows. <laughs> um, We're Sonic guys. <laughs> <laughs> but all the same stuff, they get to the, you know, weird Mad Max world. Uh, in this version, it's the same thing where they get arrested, they meet Toad, who in this is just a homeless guy. He explains the concept of the sub-dimension. Uh, I realized watching the movie, I think it is technically in there in the very background, but all these other ones make a big point out of the Statue of Repression, which is, it resembles the Statue of Liberty, only the lower hand holds the torch, and the upper and the upper one thrusts up a burning book. Whoa. Uh, the spikes on her current town. <laughs> continue down her back because she's a you know lizard uh, and or toad, hedgehog and then toad notes uh it was a gift from the amphibians um which is never really mentioned again the idea that there's this... just calling the french frogs mm-hmm. i think <laughs> yeah that i think so a, that was just a racist french joke um <laughs> that's cool though burning book statue yeah um, I mean, it's still so there. So you saw that in the movie? I didn't notice that. It's in the way background. But they built this a thing? Statue of Liberty thing. I don't even know what they did with it. It's just maybe in a matte painting in the finished movie. Uh, they're like, make sure to put the Statue of Oppression in there so we can write it off. They were I mean, it writing. sounds like they spent yeah. a lot of money on stuff they ended up not using. Well, because it kept getting rewritten yeah. so many times that they were probably building stuff, and then by the time a new draft was coming out, they had to scrap stuff. Or... Yeah, which is ultimately why the budget could be almost Jurassic Park budget, but it's like a lot of that didn't actually make it to the screen. Yeah, actually, there was one thing I caught from the director. He was saying, like, there was that one part, um, like, there was a set that wasn't even done yet. It, the wall, uh, everything, the paint was still wet, and he had to use a certain lens just to keep, you know, the 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 set that was the part of the set that was already fixed, like into frame while they shot a scene. Like <laughs> it was just like there were, you know, there were like every day they were getting new pages. So it was every day. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Oh. I mean, yeah, you can, like, in the Los Angeles Times article, that's what, you know, Dennis Hopper would, like, literally be, like, wouldn't even read scenes because by the time he was going to get to set, it was just going to get a new, like, 
he's going to get a like, new set of sides, you know. It was just, it was constantly being rewritten, and we'll get to that eventually. There's different writers that come in for that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Down the line. Another so. moving piece we get now is Daniela, who in this one is Scarpelli's uh, kidnapped daughter who only ranked number two in his list of things <laughs> that were making his day shitty. Um, <laughs> and then I stepped in, yes. I stepped in gum. <laughs> My uh, daughter's missing. <laughs> uh, we also introduced the de-evolution chamber that was in yeah. the final movie. All no, these beats. horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, the thing in the movie, it's a famous deleted scene because all these scripts have, and again, it always happens to a different character, but Koopa turns it all the way down and turns somebody into slime. Really? And they clearly shot that scene if you watch the movie because yeah. he slips in this slime that's just yeah, all over like, the yeah. floor. Yeah, they push Koopa in the slime and he falls into the yeah. de-evolution but chamber. there's no explanation of why there's slime all over the floor. Yeah. yeah I Deleted that, like, scene. It was an excretion of the, of the toad to Goomba. part of the process. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, one weird thing from the script that never made it to anything else, which I was shocked about, was um, there's a scene in a rundown subway station and it says, one wall is lined with rusted metal boxes suspended over overhead tokens and so it was a rejected ideal from terry runt where it was um cash boxes attached to phone booths that if you punch them then tokens come out so that was going to be the whole Game yeah okay yeah made some to... drawings of it which we'll also post on uh social media yeah, i appreciate so... the the attempt at bringing logic into yeah. why there's money in metal boxes everywhere but I mean, I guess. I mean, I could have used just anything where they have to like smash through some bricks from underneath. Above them, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, as far as like, I I agree that the, and we'll see. It'll be interesting to see what Illumination does, especially because it's a cartoon and they can get very silly with it. Uh, that the John Carter of Mars just like they can jump because they're in another world. But if they're going with this like, you know, mad or Max Hedrumy thing, the idea of their air stompers, they're called, of the, like, pressure shoes. I'm like, right. eh, at least they jump. They sort of. Completely... Like, they really yeah. more, like, fly. They're, like, jet boots. And they in the ultimate movie, yeah, they, they like, use them to escape from that nightclub, then, like, take them off. Well, they, like, like you put on their use... overalls, they have the boots on, and the next scene, they're not wearing them. And there's, like, a thing, like, you gotta jump. And I'm like, aren't they wearing the boots? And then I realize they're it not wearing true. the it's boots It's like they anymore. can only use them once because <laughs> yeah. they have, like, cartridges. Yeah, they use them as projectiles later. That's true. Uh, but... Uh, and there's sort of, really... like, a little bull- bullet bill, like, item Mario yeah. has at yeah. some point. Was that, like, a... Uh, the, the... That was just, like, a... A thing he shoots, right? He was yeah. with a bullet. Yeah, I think he like put it. He shot the there was maybe he shot the shoe with it or something. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. does he put it? You yeah. just watched this last night. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I think he like <laughs> a blur. He put the I bullet know, into tough. like a tube. I think attached to the shoe and like yeah. shot it out. Um, but like <laughs> also in this toad is part chameleon, so he can like blend into walls. But I feel like that barely gets used. In anything in the movie, um, there's ideas all over the place. Well, let's read this. This is a group scene that I think we're all in. Page sixty-one, if you guys have it, mm-hmm. um, just give, give a flavor of kind of because this is very similar to the finished movie, but it's all got this extra flavors of things that didn't make it. So this is when Mario and Luigi, if you've seen the movie, uh, steal a cop car and end up out in the desert. Because in this, it's kind of like the city is just surrounded by endless desert. Judge Dredd style. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
So, interior night world. Night. Desert dwellers dance on the floor and thrash in the shadows. A percussion-heavy, hard-rocking ensemble is playing in a rough wooden stage. They're the sores, like as in dinosaurs. Uh, Toad leads the brothers to meet his friends, Manus, Fodor, and Freeman. They are all they are well-meaning liberal types, total <laughs> misfits in this reptilian world. A waitress brings a plate of appetizers. Mario digs in before realizing it's raw meat. He puts it back, looking for something to wipe his fingers on. Manus gestures to Luigi sitting there glumly. What's the matter with him? Koopa kiped his girlfriend. Koopa, man. What were we thinking when we voted for him? Oh, you elected this guy? Well, sort of. You can vote, but uh, only for Koopa. You can vote for Koopa the statesman, Koopa the despot, Koopa the stud. This, in our opinion, does not constitute a true democracy. Why doesn't someone run against him? They think about it. Well, Koopa the Sensitive ran, but... No, I mean someone other than Koopa! Oh, I don't know. Koopa wouldn't like the... Ah, no wonder this place sucks. You guys are pathetic. At least Koopa takes charge of things. They sort of look down at the table ashamed. It's just, we're herbivores. We're not confrontational by nature. Herbivores? Then why are you eating raw meat? They stop in mid-bite. What are we supposed to do? Call the waitress over? Tell her this isn't what we ordered? Ask her to bring us what we want? Yes, damn it! You can't go through life accepting whatever Koopa puts in front of you. If everybody hates him, why don't you get together and kick the son of a bitch out? Because it's against the law, that's why. Well, now wait. Mario's got a point. I mean, uh, what have we got to lose? How can things get any worse? I mean, he, he could kill us, that's how. You can't kill us if we all stick together. We've got to face our problems, stand up to authority. People scream as the doors burst up down. A band member yells, It's a raid! A dozen uniformed troopers... Uh, storm in the energy police. Club patrons run in terror as they pl- unplug and confiscate the band's equipment and start rounding up the club's personnel. The energy police! Run! Run away! If we all run away together, they won't be able to catch us. Toad hustles Mario Luigi and his friends out back. <sighs> so this one's got, yeah, this whole, like, underground uh, freedom yeah. fighters. That again, is kind of elements of that in the finished. Yeah, well, these like weird spineless, uh, like conflict avoidant. uh, You know, I I didn't mind that. I could have used some of that in the movie. (laughs) Put a little Italian flair to Toad, also, Joe. Though for a minute, I thought (laughs) it was like that. Was like you guys, you liberals, are suck. And I'm realizing Mario is like a Trump voter, but no, he he would overthrow Trump. Um, and then we kind of get into some insane stuff that... Oh, also, this introduces something that's in pretty much every single one of the scripts up until, like, the last one, uh, which is that Daisy isn't the princess. Her parents were not king and queen. Her mom was a portal keeper, which is a special, like, the only person who can touch the portal between worlds to make it work. Okay. So you can... That's at least why we're for the movie. I'm like, that's a good change. That's uh, I hate portals. Weird... <laughs> you got to have portals. I hate them. Yeah. You, you've agonized and sweated over portal logic? I, I hate them. Uh, you guys don't get the portal game movie next time. Be, be <laughs> hey, rough. Kind of yeah. All right, yeah. I'm just <laughs> um, But this has a fun element that I actually wish was in the movie, but maybe it was just getting too big, um, is that... Uh, 
they see on TV when they're just hanging out, Mario and Luigi with the Freedom Fighters, <laughs> is that there's going to be a, a big, like, celebrity golf game that Koopa's putting on that's going to be televised. Um, and as part of the, the golf game, they're going to kill Daisy as a public execution fundraiser. Um, so we have this scene for everyone to read too. This was before Mario Golf, though, right? Yeah, it was. Oh, it yeah. This is long before Mario Golf. Well, there was, I guess, there, there was a golf. Nintendo's golf had. I'm thinking someone... this was a Alice in Wonderland kind of illusion with like the Queen of Hearts and her crazy um, yeah, croquet yeah, or whatever. Yeah. That's yeah, just my point. guess, but I don't know. Um, but we have this page seventy-one. Uh, you might be in this too, Steve. I don't remember. Right. Um, but here we are. So this is like a TV footage, and our heroes are planning to crash this celebrity golf game. High-definition video, montage of sports footage, a crescendo of triumphant music, a flurry of computer graphics, a montage of painful sports footage. From the agony of victory, a race car crosses a finish line, flames, and then explodes. To the even worse agony of defeat, it's KBC's Violent World of Sports. <laughs> the Violent World logo wipes to our hosts, Morty and we- or Morton and Wendy, standing before a willowy golf course and a- the Koopa Sands entrance, complete with a 12-foot golf ball on a giant tee. Welcome to Koopa Sands, where the city's top players are arriving for the Koopa Command Invitational Golf Tournament. And I can't imagine a better day to whack it around. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Golf course, Martin and Wendy, day. Now we see the cameras, the panoramic vistas behind them, and a large crowd. Signs read, re-elect Koopa, the sportsman. That's right, Morton. It's refreshing to see a great man like Koopa working out his political differences over a friendly game of golf, don't you think? Ah, here he comes now! The crowd turns in the sound of loud crunching. A monster limo crushes over the parked cars as the crowd applauds. While Koopa makes his way to the clubhouse, let's take a look at some of the players on the slate. Uh, the players arrive like stars at the Academy Award, each with a stunning escort, a career diplomat with darting eyes. Kyle Davenport, Koopa's energy axe. A squat, pompous-looking man with a cigar. Otto Krem, Koopa's powerful henchman. Too powerful? We've all heard those rumors about a possible about a possible Goomba coup. tight. <laughs> a swaggering playboy dressed to kill. Propaganda commissar and ladies' man, Hank Breland. Or Hark Breland. Hark Breland. Oh. Some say he dresses better than Koopa the Dapper. That's got to ruffle the big guy's feathers. And now here he is, the man who gets our vote as a real winner, Koopa the Sportsman. Koopa arrives with Lena, uh, same character from the movie, his like you know, sexy henchwoman or whatever she is. Her shorts distract the cameraman. Whoa. Thank you, Wendy. I want to, I'm still going to do the same voice, even though he's not a giant monster anymore. <laughs> I want to thank my political allies for coming out in the spirit of sportsmanship. I think you'll all find my new golf course uniquely challenging. Koopa, or now we cut to Koopa at the hole. Uh, Koopa swings, thwack, the crowd applauds with perfect drive. A magnificent drive gets this game underway. That is right at it, Wendy. Series of quick close shots off the tee. The balls are whacked in succession off the tee. The crowd is clapping politely, but Hark looks disheartened. Ooh, that one's going in the sand. Hark looks pretty unhappy about that. 
at the sand trap. Park rolls up his pant legs. As he sizes up the shot, he notices that he's sinking. It's quicksand. He motions frantically to his candy, who offers him a shorter club. No, you idiot! Get me out of here! The caddy looks at Koopa, who shakes his head. You must play through. Don't be unsportsmanlike. Hark thrashes as he sinks, and the <laughs> ball bobbing to the surface, he disappears. Whoa. He finally connects, and the ball pops out. A smattering of applause as his club finally sinks from sight. Uh, we'll stop there. Uh, this is insane. That would have been fun, though. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I feel like this is better than the final movie. Like, it has actual laughs. I mean, this all, yeah. I'm assuming this largely got cut because of the price, because there's like a water hazard with razor fish. <laughs> price and pointlessness and no Mario and Luigi in it. Koopa shows up yeah. in a giant, like, tank and is just, like, shooting stuff to, like, <laughs> screw up other people's games. And it totally feels like they're comparing him to Trump with the whole golf course and everything. You know? <laughs> Mar-a-Lago. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a fun bit where Mario takes the drain snake from his tool belt and uses it like a bullwhip once they finally show up. Um, there's oh, that giant golf ball that's like sitting on the tee ends yeah. up, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark rolling around and crushing yeah. stuff. It's like a Super Dave TV special. It's very long. Yeah. <laughs> it's a big chunk wow, of movie. It's a Big scene. Um, Pretty late in the movie, too. Yeah, Mario and Luigi show yeah, up. Yeah, we're on page 100. And, yeah. <laughs> no, this yeah. was page 70. Oh, all right. But then uh, Koopa captures Mario and Luigi when they show up and try to stop him. He ties them out in the desert where they're going to be eaten by sand eels. As Koopa notes, sand eels, they gnaw through the skin and burrow into the body cavities and lay their larva. It can take weeks for the host to die. Oh, no, Mario's out there. Luigi gets moved over to our old friend, the Ice Dungeon. Oh, right. Remember from the other script. Oh, right on. Um, and as I think, Toad saves Mario. They both go to save Luigi and Daisy. Daisy rescues all the kidnapped girls. So it's basically kind of like we get in the, the actual final movie. Uh, Mario uses a plunger to screw up the portal device. Like, I kind of like some of the plumbing specifics yeah. that this one at least has. Mm-hmm. Um, this fight kind of like breaks out into Brooklyn, which kind of lasts for most of the draft. And I believe was like a last minute cut where they're like, we don't have the budget to go do all this stuff in Brooklyn. <laughs> so it just fights on the set they already have. Well, they have like the, the real movie ends. Yeah. Koopa gets to like the, the dinosaur dig and then there's yeah. just kind of nothing happens. Yeah. And then the yeah movie they ends go to, there. they go to Brooklyn and then come back, back immediately, like mm-hmm. a minute or 90 seconds later. And then they like come back. Oh yeah. And, and then the final fight is actually on like the yeah. street. And yeah, you're right. Cause I think, yeah. The, yeah, originally I think the ending was supposed to take place on the Brooklyn bridge and then they had to scrap yeah. all that for money. Which makes sense to him to fight the villain on the Brooklyn Bridge, I guess. Yeah, that would have you know? been, you know, better. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but just like in the movie, they rescue all the kidnapped girls that no one seemed to really care about. <laughs> uh, get back, they defeat Koopa, um, and let's read this final bit here that I think I keep saying I think you're in it, Steve, <laughs> but I do think you're in this one, um, and I'll even like. Yeah, let's see where to start. Let's start here. Exterior Brooklyn Bridge. Mario walks to the edge, entranced. The stone in his pocket is glowing. He takes it out. A crackling beam of energy shoots out and surrounds the meteorite. It's like he's got Koopa on a tether. Mario smiles. With a flick of his wrist, 
sends him careening wildly, but it's hard to hold on to the stone. He lets go. The stone slingshots towards Koopa and smashes into the flying meteorite. An explosion of dimensional energy whites out the screen. Then, a clear night sky. A star twinkles. The crowd rises to its feet cautiously. Eddie, Scarpelli, helps Mario back to the ambulance. Um, oh, I think this was because, like, it's like we win and then Koopa comes back, like, one last time. That classic thing. The video cameraman shake, shakily lowers his camera. A reporter turns to him. Tell me you got that. The cameraman nods. <laughs> Daisy kisses Luigi as he's loaded into the ambulance. Lena and Daniela both kiss Mario. Ooh la la. <laughs> the All doors right. are slammed shut. Interior ambulance night. Mario and Luigi lie in the dark as the ambulance heads off. A paramedic sits in the back. As the credits roll, we hear them in a voiceover. Luigi sounds a little loopy. Uh, hey, Mario. What? All that stuff Pop taught us. It sure came in handy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think he knew someday we'd get sucked we'd get sucked into a dinosaur subdimension? No, Luigi, probably not. Exterior Brooklyn Bridge, long shot night. Credits continue as the ambulance heads over the bridge. He always said we'd thank him someday though, didn't he? Yeah. Hey, can't you give him something to make him sleep? I already did. <laughs> Thanks, Pop. Now you say it. Ah, give me a break, will you? Say it. Say it, say it, say it. Shut up! Oh, go on. Say it. It won't kill you. Mario sighs, put upon a long beat, then quickly. Thanks, Pop. Mario has achieved his full arc of embracing being a plumber. The end. <laughs> I mean, that doesn't really feel like the way you embrace being a no, plumber. No, no. <laughs> that's what he should have said to Bowser when he was like blowing him up, just like "I'm a plumber, motherfucker." Yeah, <laughs> yeah you, you like go, you goad into saying thank you just to make everyone shut up. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, Bowser. I mean, full arc Bowser should have been like, "You think you can stop me? You're just a contractor specializing in waste management and water supply systems." No, I'm not. I'm a plumber! Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a me, Mario! It's a me, motherfucking Mario. Uh, well, there we have it. And we're going to hit pause again and conclude this insane adventure. All right. Looks like soon I'm enough. back. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thanks again to Pat and Alan. And where can they find you on the social medias? Uh, I'll go first this time. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at AlanTheWriter, A L A N, The Writer. Uh, and if you got any any young children in your house, I was a uh, co-head writer of the show Sunny Day on Nick Jr. So oh, yes. Watch that. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter at uh, Pat underscore Casey, the letters Casey. Uh, and you should uh, take your loved ones and go see Sonic the Hedgehog in theaters February 14th, Valentine's Day. It's and very romantic. And if this goes up when I believe it will, uh, go see it this Friday. Whoa. Yeah! Yeah! Mm-hmm. We've traveled forward in time. Um, I also take the opportunity to let our viewers know um, if they're sick of listening to us without also getting to see our hideous, hideous faces. Uh, You can now watch your favorite episodes of Best Movies Never Made on the Electric Now channel, available to stream on Stir, Zumo, and Distro TV, and coming soon to the Electric Now app. Maybe the app will already be up by the time this episode goes up. I don't know. We backlog our episodes way ahead of time. Um, You can also find us on on social media on Instagram we are best movies never made on Twitter we are at never made film 
Thank you for joining us here at Best Movies Never Made. And if you're a fan of this podcast, you may want to check out Electric Surge's other podcasts, like the 430 Movie Every Friday or Inglorious Trexperts, the only Star Trek uh, podcast or blah, the only podcast with Star Trek for oh man, um, the only <laughs> podcast for Star, Star Trek, Trek fans, fans with, with a life. life. You've said oh. it so many times, you'd think. Really, I should just record this once and play the same one every single time. Uh, but that's on Saturdays. Listen to it. It's fun. Uh, they have very good guests. Uh, and also, a very special thanks to Bill Ritter and everyone here at Electric Surge Network, including our producers Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman. So until next time, this is... Steven Scarlatta. And I'm Josh Miller saying we won't see you at the movies. This show was produced by Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman and is an Electric Surge Network production.